Last week, I had a whole sermon on a very short sentence, and that was be subject or submitted to one another in the fear or out of a deep honor and respect to God. And uh, basically, I just said, Jesus, 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 the way he is in his nature before creation ever happened, the beautiful submission unto the Son, to the Father. That is the nature of God before anything was made. Just God existed. That characteristic, that nature was evident within the Godhead itself. Father, first person of the Trinity. Son, the second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Submission in that order. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will take of mine and give to you. The Holy Spirit won't speak on his own authority. He'll speak from what I give him to speak. Jesus said it a dozen times, literally in the Gospel of John. Of myself, I say nothing. I only speak what the Father gives me to speak. And he shows me what to say and how to say it. And that's exactly what I say. Of my own authority, I do nothing. So Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the fellowship with the Father Jesus has comes as we walk as Jesus walked. And have that beautiful spirit of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the eyes of God. And so we're going to see this in the husband-wife relationship. We're going to see this in the parent-child relationship when we get to chapter 6, hopefully next week. And then the, also the employer-employee relationship. Today we're going to look at the husband and wife's role in the marriage. So God made everything in his image. And so in essence, the husband is sort of like God the Father. The Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is sort of like the wife in, in this role of position and the kids in the third position of authority. Everything's made in threes. And you, you see this. So the Lord our God is one Lord. We have one God but yet in three distinct persons. And that will be fully understood when we're in heaven. But until then, we understand in part and know in part. But here's the, the thing. In the home, it's a representation of that nature in the roles of authority only. So we're going to get to the last verse here today. In verse 32, it says this. And then verse 33, it says I'm speaking about Christ and the church. However, now I'm reading over it, it sounds like a good idea in marriage as well. So what we're learning about here today is really about the church seeing itself as the bride of Christ. We have little pictures of this in the Song of Solomon or in Revelation, the spirit and the bride say come. But really, when we talk about the church and God's love for the church, it's right here. This is it. 
Did you know we often say Christ died for all of us individually, but the Bible actually doesn't say that. The Bible tells us here that Christ loves the church and he died for the church. Now I understand churches and different denominations and localities got some bad reputation, especially in the cancel culture, especially in social media days where they can literally destroy a restaurant in a night. You know, some college kids go in and they don't like it and they get on Yelp or whatever and they can literally put somebody out of business with a cancel culture on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And so now in this crazy, progressive, communistic, liberal, demonically instigated culture that we are now living in, we, we used to say we're post-Christian. We're not. We're non-Christian. You, you could actually have better chances witnessing in Russia today than you can downtown New York. And in this culture, the church is the opiate of the people, as Stalin and Lenin said. The church is the problem. All the problems we have, it's Christians thinking like Christians. That's the real problem. And so people consciously, subconsciously are getting pounded. The church is ugly. The church is stupid. The church is hypocrites. The church is money grabbing. The church is bad. And I'm here to tell you the church to God with all its warts and wrinkles and flaws The church is his beautiful bride. Would you meet a couple and he goes, oh yeah, this is my fiance. And you turn to your wife and say, she is ugly. Oh, did you hear that? Oh, I'm so, I mean, would that just be crazy inappropriate? I mean, would that just be bizarre? Well, we are engaged to Jesus the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to come at the rapture of the church. We're going to have a seven-year party, wedding party. We are beautiful. And, and beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, okay? I, I get that. I mean, I, I see guys thinking certain types of girls are beautiful, and I, I don't get it. But then they see the type of girls I think are beautiful, and they don't get it. I, I understand our brains are wired differently, what we think is beautiful. But Jesus thinks his bride is beautiful. And this is what he's trying to convey. I am speaking about Christ and the church, but there is a culture you guys know in marriage. It's not perfect. I'd like to correct a couple of things on your view of marriage. But really, If you can understand marriage on earth, you can understand Jesus' heart towards the church. That's what he's talking about here. And how can we have a good marriage with the Lord? He's going to tell you how to be married to Jesus and have success in that marriage. And of course, it does have a good analogy to Christ and the church as well or to one another as well in our marriages. 
So he says here, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me just say, in this culture of the first generation, wives being submitted to their husbands wasn't an issue. A matter of fact, it was sort of like the whole world was the Taliban when it came to how they treated women. Women were oppressed. Women couldn't own things. Women couldn't have their own money. Women were oppressed. A matter of fact, wherever Christianity comes, women are liberated. That's a fact. But in this culture, a woman was not just submitted to her husband. She was submitted to all men, which is demonic. God took from Adam's rib that they would be partners. He didn't take from Adam's foot that Adam would rule over her. He didn't take from Adam's head that she should rule over him. But he took from the rib that they would be partners in this life. And we just saw last week in chapter 5, verse 21, submit to what? One another in the fear of God. There's a beautiful symbiotic relationship of mutual love and respect of one another that we see as we look at all the verses in the Bible on marriage, which we are not going to do today. But in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. Not the husband saying the wife, but Christ saving the church. Again, Paul's going to say, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So any, there's no perfect analogy. Okay, so the analogy sort of breaks down here because the husband doesn't save the wife at all. But Christ does save the church completely. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. And so in this culture, a woman understands that whatever her husband says goes in the same way, in the church, we need to come to that submitted heart of saying whatever Christ says, no matter what the topic, no matter what area of life, we need to submit to the Lord. This is a command to the church to submit to Christ. And this is a command for wives submit to their husbands. This is not a suggestion this command's re reinforced in Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In Ephesians verse 22 there, he said, as to the Lord. Here he says, as fitting in the Lord. It, you know, just as you would. It, it's just common knowledge how we need to be submitted to God. He's Lord. In 1 Peter 3, boy, Peter now is talking about the husband-wife relationship. And he's talking about a non-Christian husband or a disobedient husband, a husband is, who is being very difficult to submit to. Peter, what do you do? And Peter says, well, I got an answer for you. Here's what happens if you have a non-Christian or disobedient husband. And in 1 Peter 3, 1, wives likewise be submissive to your own. If some do not obey the word, they without a word. Uh-oh. They without a word. <laughs> may be won by the conduct of their wives or the characteristics or the, the, the nature of the wife. What's that nature look like? 
that character of the wife look like? Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear or honor, respect. Do not let your adornment merely be outward, arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on a fine apparel. So you know how it is, ladies. You, you want to look nice at first glance. That's good. He's not saying don't do that. He's just saying don't let that be the end of you. What After people get past the, the exterior of you, which is very pleasing, very orderly, very nice, and they get to see what's inside, there should be something adorning inside of you. And he says in verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, some ladies have said, well, I'm a dominant type personality person. That's just the way it is, period, end of story. I, I won't even attempt to be this person. I agree. Some people's personalities, when it comes to this world, just sort of meek people. And for them to say, be meek, they're just like, I'll just be me. I don't even have to do that. I don't even have to concentrate on that scripture. I'm already that personality type person. But then there's other people that this is, you know, like climbing Mount Everest. Um, but that doesn't mean because I was born into this world with a certain personality, I won't even attempt it. Quite the opposite. We still need to see that we're born into this body in sinful natures. And part of that is a bad personality. To some degree, our personality hinders us. Sometimes it's meet people needing to be brave. Sometimes it's People that got to say every single thought that comes into their head, they need to, right? Um, you don't open your mouth in, in foolishness. But here, ladies, I, I understand this doesn't, it's easy for some of you and not easy for others, but yet understand that this is God's desire for his bride, that he, what's attractive to the Lord is that he would marry a bride with a gentle and quiet spirit. And this is the way Sarah was, the, guy, the gal that Abraham married. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, if you do good and not afraid with terror. So she wasn't doing this because she was afraid Abraham was going to beat her. She, she did it unto God, realizing she had spiritual insight that the Lord has put Abraham in authority over me. Now, I'd like to go back to that word submission. The word submission in verse 21 and here, wives be submitted, it is not somebody putting you under submission. The word is very clear that you are putting yourself under submission. So God is not coming and saying, get in line, ladies, whack. He's coming to you going, I, I'm not going to do it. You've got to do it for yourself. If you don't do it for yourself, it's just not going to happen. And you're going to suffer the consequences of that. He's coming to the church and saying, if you're not submitted to me in my ways, I'm not going to whack you. 
I'm just going to let you reap what you sow. I'm just going to let you in your free will do what you do. And I I don't want to watch you suffer the consequences of that. But that's what's going to happen. God is saying, if I make you submit to me, it's not submission. It's not a submission I want. The only people I want submitted to me are those who willingly put themselves under my authority. And this is what this is saying here. That Sarah willingly, joyfully, a matter of fact, she would call him Lord. She, she was so wanting this to be clear to everyone in their circle and theirs who knew Abraham and Sarah, Sarah wanted everyone to know that Abraham's not making me. I'm not afraid of Abraham. I'm not afraid of him beating me or, you know, doing something harsh to me. Quite the opposite. But I want it clear that I am a woman who is willingly, joyfully, under my husband's authority. And God is saying that was precious to him to see that in Sarah. I think of the mother of our Lord according to the human body, Mary, when Gabriel came to her and and she's like, how how can I have a kid? I'm, I'm a virgin. He said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. Any questions? Uh, she just says, be it unto me according to your will. No wonder the Lord picked her. No wonder the Lord picked Sarah. Such an important characteristic. We looked at last week the opposite of submission, Lucifer. He's in heaven with God. The seraphim and seraphim are flying around, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. But yet he and his pride and the evilness of his own heart said, I will be lifted up. Not that I'll be above God, but I will be equal to God. Isn't that what he said to Eve? God knows the day you eat of that, you will be like him, equal to him. And he doesn't want the competition. That's why he kicked me out of heaven. I'm so righteous, Lucifer would say. But God doesn't like the competition. That's because he's an evil God who wants to be in dictatorial authority. And I couldn't stand it, so I had to leave heaven. That's what he would say. But in reality, it was this unsubmitted heart, which is the character of demonicness, like Lucifer himself. He makes it clear that whatever the culture says about all women submitting to all, women, all men, that is not God's intention. That the wife would only have that heart of submission towards one man, her husband. And so we see here that in particular, it doesn't distinguish between Christian and non-Christian. You see, women will sometimes say, well, I would be Sarah. I would be that submissive wife, but he doesn't know the Lord. So uh, I, I can't submit to him. No, 
That's not the point. Peter just told us that if you have a non-believing or disobedient husband, what's going to win him to the Lord is seeing that beautiful submission that we all saw in Jesus who brought us salvation. And we need to do it as to the Lord. So the question is, well, do I need to submit to my husband in this? As to the Lord in everything. And now he tells us why. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. Now that's interesting. He's simply saying, in authority, Father's desires that Christ would be lifted up above every name and that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess to Jesus. He's the head of the church and we are his body. We're not the head. He's the head. We are the body in submission to the head. So in the home, the husband is to be the head. And he himself, he himself, Jesus, being the savior of the body. And so Christ is going to not just save us for eternal life, but he's going to save us from difficulty in this life. He'll save us from hardships of this life. If we walk the way he walked, many things we're suffering is because of our sinfulness. Many difficulties that we have in our life is because of our foolishness. And here he he is saying that God wants to keep us not just from sin, but from all danger. He wants to protect, preserve. He wants us to experience that fellowship and loving relationship with him. But as the church is subject to Christ, all wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I, I will make a stipulation here. There is a point when anybody in authority over us tells us to do the opposite of what God tells us to do. Remember that story in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when the Sadducees bring in the apostles and they say, now, we're going to let you guys go, but this is the new rule and we expect you to follow it. Don't talk about Jesus ever again. And Peter says, there's an authority above you You are my authority. You're the civil authority of Jerusalem. I respect that, and I will submit to that. But God, who is above you, told us to go and preach the name of Jesus. So now that we have two competing authorities, who do I obey? And he says, you obey God rather than man. So, but again, I I think that it comes down to that they're asking you to do something completely illegal against the law. Um, Boy, I could tell you some difficult stories that ladies were in. And um, I won't. So the question I have for the husbands is here, to you guys. If you were the wife and you had to submit to you, would you be happy, blessed, or sad, or miserable? I'm I'm just asking. If you had to submit to you, is that a good thing? (laughs) Or is that a very hard thing to do? Are you a wise head? A godly head? A respectable head? Are you somebody that the wife can just say, I adore him and I respect him and he is such an awesome Christian example. For me to submit to him is a joyful thing. 
Or are you a jerk? Are you the one she's having to drag along to church and drag to read the Bible and drag to live a godly life? You're not being the head. You're forcing her to be the spiritual head of your home, which is making the will oblong rather than nice and round and smooth. Well, let's move on. I I do need to talk about an important clarification here. When we talk about somebody submitting to somebody else, we're not talking about the worth of that person. Only the perfect order and design. I gave this example last week. I have a neighbor, let's say, George, good guy. And he's just George, my neighbor. He's an American. And when he's in uniform and he's in that black and white car and that black and white car pulls up behind you and the lights come on, what do you do? (laughs) You submit, right? Even though he's not a greater American, he's not a greater human being, he's not greater in any other way except in authority. Now, what happens if we stop respecting authority? We have exactly what we have today complete chaos. Do you understand? There is no middle ground. You either submit to authority and have order, or you don't submit to authority and you have chaos. There is no middle ground. You teenagers, you go into your bedroom, you either have order or chaos, right? There's a point where you learn, as much as I don't want to fold my clothes and put them away, I have to because if not, in a day, I won't be able to walk into this room. You have order or chaos. In the same in every realm, whether that's a business or a country or a marriage. And so it says in 1 Corinthians eleven three, this is a spiritual truth. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God, God the Father, is the head of Christ. So clear roles of authority. This is why Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, saying when you gather together in the church, make what happens in the church a male-dominated worship. Because if the woman is leading everything in the church, it gives glory to her husband, not to Jesus. But when the man is being the spiritual leader in the church, it gives glory to Christ. And all that Jesus did, what did he say? Everything I say, everything I do glorifies my father. That's why I say it. That's why I do it is to glorify the Father. So Jesus, everything he did while he's on earth, glorified the Father. We now, as men, need to quit being wimps and be spiritual leaders, not spiritual riding the coattails of your wife, so to speak. Well, that's in 1 Corinthians 11. He talks about that. But it's not saying the wife is less quality or less important. 
again, taken from the side. They're equal. They're equal before God. They're equal in every way. Simply, they put themselves in submission to authority. Of course, the husband is putting himself into submission to other authorities if he's wise. So when the husband leads the wife in love, the wife submits to her husband. She feels safe and secure in her husband's leadership. Both the husband and the wife are happy and benefit because they both are functioning in the God-ordained roles. So in Ephesians 22 to 24 here, the opposite is what happened in Genesis 3.16 after man sinned. It tells us in 1 Timothy 2, I'm not going to go in there, but the reason there's the downfall on, on planet Earth, it says in 1 Timothy 2, is because the woman took the lead. She went and talked to the serpent in the tree. She's the one that had the conversation. We find out Adam was standing right next to her, but he was letting her lead. And Satan didn't say, you'll get rich. You'll see some pornography. No, what was the flesh he offered her? You'll have greater spiritual insight. You will be a greater spiritual person. And your spirituality will be equal to God's spirituality. She took of the fruit. She ate it, leading, and then she handed it to her husband and commanded that he also eat of it. And so you see what happened when that spiritual had happened. So God says, woman, you're going to have a physical pain. When you give birth, there'll be pain. But I'm also going to give you an emotional pain. Your husband will be the leader over you. That's your emotional difficulty. And it tells us in Genesis 3.16, it has this, it has a sentence that says, your desire shall be towards your husband and or but he shall rule over you. Oh, people, when they read that, they go, oh, I love that. His, my desire shall be for my husband. How beautiful. Well, it's not what it means at all. A matter of fact, that exact Hebrew sentence, word for word, is found in Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis 4, 7, this is where Cain is wanting to kill his brother Abel. And God speaks to Cain and he says to, he says to him, sin lies at the door, the exact same Hebrew sentence word for word. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. That's not very pretty, is it? So the way sin wants to rule man, so the wife her flesh is going to want to rule her husband. That's going to be her pain. You, you think about women. Let's just face it. They're smarter. I mean, tests prove that women are smarter. And then, of course, they got that sixth sense thing going. So they have insights into people and situations. And you're like going, oh, this um, the hair's on the back of my neck. This is getting strange. Their brains process things. They don't even know why they know what they know, but they know it. <laughs> Women are more organized. Women are better communicators. Women are better leaders. 
And so women are actually natural leaders. And guess what they can't do? Lead. They've got to wait for the husband. So the wife is like this beautiful Ferrari. So smooth and wah, you know. And the truck, the guy, the, the guy's the big giant diesel truck. Blah, 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 blah. And the wife in her Ferrari is looking at the back of the diesel truck. And that's the way they travel. And the wife, she wants to get around that ugly diesel and follow me. You know, but it's painful. It's painful to be in that Ferrari and have to stay behind the diesel. And then the husband goes, I got a good idea. We should do this. And she's going, I told you that three weeks ago. (laughs) You did? No, I came up with that myself. The poor wife, God basically made her a natural leader and says, but you can't in the home. You can't when it comes to your husband. So you never should have talked to the devil to begin with there. Um, And so her desire would be towards her husband, but she's not supposed to let herself rule over him, but let the husband be the head of the home. We go back to Ephesians where it says, be filled with the spirit. Ladies, can, can a fleshly, Christian or a non-believing woman really understand how the church so loves Jesus and wants to do his will? I don't think so. I mean, I think women can submit to their husbands, but they will never know until they're born again what it means to be filled with the Spirit And by the leading of the Spirit, by the love of the Spirit, they are joyfully submitting to their husband, knowing they're pleasing Jesus. Why are you so submitted to your husband? Because it rejoices Jesus' heart. It's a precious spirit to him. It's beautiful to him when he sees this submitted and gentle and quiet spirit, letting my husband lead even though he's a big, giant doof. But I do it lovingly and submitted because I know it pleases the Lord. Well, that's it, gals. We really don't need to cover the second part about husbands because they're doing good. Um, (laughs) Just read that on your own. We'll see you next week. We know that 99% of all Mary's problems are the ladies, right? I mean... uh, it was funny, I, I saw a guy on the internet and he was teaching on this, so I thought I would listen to it. And he said, oh, before I start the sermon here uh, on the role of women, give me a second. And he goes and he puts on all of this um, hockey gear. <laughs> the helmet and the pads. And he goes, okay, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, um, <laughs> I was busting up laughing, going, oh boy, that's not far from the truth. But somehow I'm alive, so now I can go to the husband's part. 
Husbands, verse 25, the beginning of that verse, husbands, love your wives. Again, this is not a suggestion. Now, I would say in the culture of this time and what they're listening to, I do think this was revelation. I don't think women submitting to their husbands was some cultural thing that they had to learn. I do think husbands loving their wives was a new thing for most of these guys. You know, often guys who don't know the Lord say, well, I provide, I give them food, you know, I give them a house to live in, and uh, I pay, you know, I fix the car, and, and uh, you know, just, just shut up and leave me alone. Just get my food and let me watch my football game. And they're like, I can't understand why she wants to divorce me. I don't understand why she's unhappy. I pride, I, you know. I told her on the day we were married, I loved her. And if anything changed, I'd let her know. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Well, I think that's probably the way it was. And, and he is coming to the husband with a new revelation saying, guys, the wives are going to continually have a horrible time submitting to you if you are not loving her. If you husbands want to make your wife's role in marriage joyful and peaceful, love her. Have you ever noticed that? People that like you, you like them. (laughs) People that are kind to you, you're kind to them. And really, if a husband's loving his wife, he really is sort of submitted to his wife, right? Because he's giving her the cherishing she desires. He's giving her the touch, the gifts, the words, whatever it is. And, you know, guys, just like the woman, it's not really her nature to submit to you. Her nature is to jump over you and do things much quicker and better and smoother and right. In the same way, it's really not your nature. I still don't understand the flower things. They're dying. Here's something that's going to die in a week. Wouldn't you rather have a football? That thing doesn't die. But I, I, I wish I felt it more. I wish I went and got flowers. And I, it has happened. 38 years of marriage. There's a couple of times where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get her flowers. Oh, oh I love her so much. It's gonna, I don't know what happened at that time. But that is a freak occurrence. But usually I'm like, I know you're going to feel loved and cherished and give you something that costs too much money and is going to die in a few days, but I love you, you know, and here's a little card. I don't feel it, but I know that's something important to her that makes her feel cherished. So husbands, it's not going to come natural. You're not going to necessarily feel it the way they feel it, but you need to know your wife, love your wife. It doesn't say you got to love all women. I hate those things, how to love women. It's just just gross to me. It's about the key that fits the door. If you're loving your wife, it's a very specific key 
that fits the door? How does she want to be loved? Now, I'm sure there's many things amongst other women, but that's irrelevant. I need to know how to focus in on her and make her feel loved and cherished and special. And I only do this for one woman and will always only do this for one woman because it's you. And imagine how easy that is for a wife to submit to such a person. Again, there's some reinforcing verses in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. The NIV says don't be harsh towards them. Again, culturally, I think that was sort of it. A lot of demanding. Hey, I'm home. Well, you're home an hour early. Where's dinner? Well, it'll be ready the same time. Harsh. Making me late again. Get ready. The ladies are coming in today. We actually got five minutes started late today, which almost never happens. Ladies are like, oh, you haven't started yet. That's so good. I, I always run late. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty typical. <laughs> I, if I had all the seconds left of my wife. Again, my tendency is to be harsh. Making us late again. I hope you're happy. Don't complain about me speeding. It's your fault. Yeah, I think we can easily be harsh and bitter. For towards women being women. Women are different than guys. They have so many wonderful, unique qualities. And those same qualities also make them late. And that's okay. It's not always the case. Sometimes uh, the guys are the ones that run late, not the ladies, but... Boy, has some real teeth in this verse. Husbands likewise dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So the wife is not being treated the way she's supposed to be by the Christian husband. And the wife just goes over his head, goes right to dad. Or dad's observing. And all of a sudden, we're going to God in prayer and the heavens are bronze. (laughs) All the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And we sense God's displeasure and his ear is not hearing. And we say, "Ah, I can't live without your grace. I can't live without your forgiveness. I can't live without your comfort and your spirit filling me up and blessing me. Why are the heavens shut off to me? And God says, your wife is your partner. In heaven, there's no marriage. Only my children. The only marriage in heaven is the church and Jesus. No other marriages. You're all equal souls in heaven. And right now before me, you're all equal children. You're my children. And I expect every child to be respected and loved and submitted to and cared for. And you, because you're bigger and stronger and louder and a force to be reckoned with, are snuffing out that precious little candle. You're breaking the limbs on that precious little rose plant. 
and I won't stand for it. I had a guy years ago, you guys might remember the story of Abigail. Remember her husband was foolish and Nabal, and the Lord killed him. And he ended up marrying, she ended up marrying King David. That was a pretty good workout. But her husband was a very foolish, foolish, foolish guy. And eventually she just kept submitting to her husband and honoring her husband, never spoke bad about her husband. But the Lord killed him because he just would not treat her properly. And I had a guy come and tell me, he goes, man, my wife, I can be the biggest jerk in the world, but she is such a wonderful Christian. I keep getting blessed because God's blessing her. This is a great thing I got going. And I said, well, are you familiar with the story of Nabal? And he's like, no. And I said, let me read that to you. I said, there's another way God can deal with this situation. He's like, oh. Well, in essence, that's what God is saying here. If I'm not going to kill you like I did Nabal, but I will sure shut off all spiritual blessings to you until you start treating your wife as a woman, as a female, as somebody that's precious and under your authority only, but not less in worth, not less in importance, not somebody I hear less in prayers or use less with good works. Her ministry is equal or greater than yours, and you need to treat her as your sister in the Lord, as a child of God, as well as a very temporary situation of her being under your authority as your wife, to love. Agape, it's not a feeling love, it's a doing love. Eros is the feeling love. This is the agape, it's sometimes you feel it. Love does not envy, it does not parade itself, it does not puffed up, it's not behave rudely. Guys, doesn't behave rudely, Brian. <laughs> does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know, it's really easy to know if you're doing well. Word love out and put your name there. Brian suffers long. Brian is kind. Brian does not envy. Brian does not pray to himself. Brian's not puffed up. Brian does not behave. I'm sort of getting grossed out here. I fell miserably on this. But when you put Jesus in there, it's, it works perfectly. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envy. Jesus does not parade itself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. Jesus does not seek his own. Boy, we start to realize here that we are to put our name in there and it's to be true of us. Husbands, love your wife. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So once again, non-Christians really can't get this marriage thing. They can get it to a point, but really a husband is to first analyze how God has been towards him and then say, I'm under God's authority and God is authority above me. This is the way he treats me. What does he do? He forgives me. He has mercy on me. 
He has love towards me. Like the prodigal dad, he just constantly embraces me and gives me a brand new garment and ring and restores me over and over again. Isn't that how our authority above us is towards us? Until you experience that in Christ, you really don't have it to give to the wife. So if you're not a believer here today, I encourage you to give your life to the Lord. If you're listening online today, say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and let him come into your life. He died paying for your sins. He rose again, conquering your sin and death. Say, Jesus, be my Lord and start following him. And you will come to know him and his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his kindness and his mercy and his goodness. And now be Jesus towards your wife in nature, in character. Husbands, be Jesus to your wife. In essence, is what it's saying. What a wonderful marriage this is. Would you ever need to tell your wife to submit to you? Does Jesus ever need to say, Brian, you need to submit to me? When he's loving me, being kind to me, being merciful to me, hugging me, kissing me, loving me, giving me eternal security. Jesus, I want your will, not my will. You know, I, nobody's got to twist my arm. Gabriel's back here. Say it, Brian. Not my will, but God's will. Say it, you know. No need. When I am in the presence of the Lord, I am on my face submitted to him. Same way wives, how, I don't think they'd ever need to be told to submit to their husbands if they have that kind of relationship. What do we see? We see Jesus is a servant leader. Remember in John 13, it says all power and authority has been given to him. And what does he do? He washes the apostles' feet and says, happy are you if you do the same. A daily dying to self. We see this mind that was in Christ who saw that was lowly and esteemed others as better than himself, who put everybody's interest before his own interest. We see Jesus daily making a personal sacrifice being in the form of a bondservant, he served all men. And then eventually he served us all, being obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. So he tells all of us in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So husbands, here it is. Are you that servant? Having power and authority. I'm the papa. This is my house. I'm the king of the castle. Having all authority. Are you washing your wife's feet? Are you daily denying yourself and putting her interest before your interest, seeing her as better than yourself? So here's the question to you husbands. How would you feel if Jesus loved you the same way you loved your wife? <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to love you exactly the way you love your wife. Are you happy with that? Or is it going to be a miserable step down how Jesus is towards us now? Well, verse 26 and 27 so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present 
to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So Christ made us holy by his blood and through the word of God. So husbands need to have a purifying love in refreshing his wife in spiritual things, washing her with the water of the word, praying with her, spending time in the scriptures together, however you do that. Pastor Romain, in the last several years of his life, after his wife died, he did this to me, and I, I can't tell you, hundreds of pastors have the same exact story. But I was there helping with the pastor's conference, setting up tables and trying to get things ready. And Pastor Romain, I said, hey, I, I need to get some walkie-talkies. And he's like, well, I'm Brian. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel, San Diego at the time. You know you're nothing. It's like, yeah, I know that. I'm nothing. Tell me this. Do you read your wife the scriptures? Uh, walkie-talkies, you know, <laughs> get people <laughs> registered. Um, I've tried. It's hard. I not really. Oh, You are such a hypocrite. You'll teach the multitudes. The whole church in the word of God never made an opportunity to let her disciple me. You see, the guys are like, oh, I've got to wash my wife in the word and you know. with the Lord. Anyway, so husband ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. There's this oneness. He goes on to say, he who loves his own wife really loves himself because they're one. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall join to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Remember John 17, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us and we would be in them in a perfect unity. Here's the key to Christianity is that when you become born again and God's spirit lives in you, that you can only picture a Christian, a Christianity where God never sees you separate from him and you never see yourself separate from him. Where I am, you shall be also. Right? So right now, God is in heaven Where are you? (laughs) You're in heaven with him right now. It's only a matter of time, right? Teachers are getting the schools ready. If they're not already back to school, they're getting the rooms ready and getting every, all the name tags and all the desks for all the different kids. It's only a matter of a few days and they will be looking at their name on a desk and they'll be putting together the crafts the teachers prepared. In the same way, God, who sees past, present, and future, he already sees us with him in heavenly places. Here's the key. 
We need to see ourselves already with him in heavenly places. Jesus, what is he going on? He's having this wonderful, loving relationship and purity with the Father. Where are we? We're exactly the same. We, right now, are in purity. God sees us out of this body into our new body. We're perfect, without sin, without blemish. And this is what he goes on to say. That he washes us in the water of the word that we are without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. He's doing it. Do you understand? Jesus, the, the, the gospel isn't be saved and then wash yourself, cleanse yourself, make yourself holy, make yourself righteous, make yourself pure. So when you die, you're going to present yourself to the Father and say, sliding scale, a little great on the curve. Did I make it? Uh, did I make it? Did I? I made it. Oh, oh, I'm sweating. That was a close one. That's not happening ever. We're out of this body and we're standing before the Father and Jesus says, Father, let me introduce you to my bride. Look at her. She's without spot. She's without wrinkle. She's without blemish. She, the Father says, oh, righteous as you are, Jesus. Perfect as you are, Jesus. Oh, it's a perfect unity. I can see it. Now, is it our righteousness? No. Jesus, our husband, he keeps washing us in the water of the word. He keeps cleansing us. I got a little spot. I can't see it, but Jesus sees it and he's got it out already. I got a wrinkle here. Where? I can't. Oh, right there. It's a little wrinkle. Oh, Jesus got it out. So in a moment, in a twinkling eye, or we breathe our last, we are standing and Jesus is saying, Father, here you go. Isn't my bride. Are we going to say glory to me? Yes, I am perfect. Thank you. Yes, I thought so. Yes. Oh, very good. Where's the number one seat here in heaven? I should get it. I don't think so. Spurgeon said, everybody will know he's in heaven because he'll be in the back row, but he will be singing the loudest of the righteousness of Christ. Amen to that. Well, we finish here in verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think he probably said it a little more Jewish, you know. Nevertheless, let each one in particular love his own wife as life. Yeah, I think it goes that way. But hey, it's a good, it's, you know what? Now that I think about it, yeah, I mean, the only real marriage advice I got here is husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Outside of that, I'm really talking about Jesus in the church. But I, I can see some practical applications there. Well, if Paul didn't know at this time that <laughs> this is revelation to our culture. Have you noticed the further we get away from Christianity, the more offensive God and his word and the church is. 30 years ago, the most liberal people in the nation believed homosexuality was sin. 
But today, if you think homosexuality is a sin, you're in the point zero zero eight, And you're evil for thinking that. And if the Bible says it, well, the Bible's evil for saying that. And if God thinks that, he's evil for saying that. And so we come here saying, hey, wife, submit to your husbands. Ah, I want to kill you. It's really the culture of our world really does see evil as good and good as evil. But in the church, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how angry the world gets at God and his word, we can't bend the truth to accommodate the world. And that's what churches are doing. The Methodist church has homosexual and lesbian pastors. John Wesley, there's no way he would buy into that. The Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, you can go and you look and and they literally are saying churches with the rainbow flag outside their buildings. Crazy, crazy the world we're in, but we need to come back and see the beauty of God and his word, amen? Well, thank you, Lord, for your word today. And we do ask in Jesus' name that these truths would go deep, deep, deep into our hearts and we would love you, Jesus, more than we've ever loved you before. And that in grace and in peace and in joy, all believers here can up their game (laughs) as being a husband, as being a wife. And all the young people, the teenagers, the single people can put these truths in their heart, in the warehouse of their minds, in the warehouse of their souls, and keep these truths ever so clear and precious for that day that you bring their spouse into their life. And for the old Christians here that have a past of not being this way, bad habits, Heal them, Lord. Get them out of the trenches they've dug that are tripping them up and keeping them from rising up to being the wife they're to be, to being the husband they're to be. And all of us as believers would understand how much you love us, Jesus, and your relationship to us, that we are one and you never see yourself separate from us. But as the husband and the wife are one flesh, that Jesus and the church are one flesh. Jesus and the church were one. If you see Jesus, you see us. If you see us, you see Jesus. If you see Jesus' righteousness, you see our righteousness. If you see Jesus in heaven loving on the Father, you see us in heaven loving on the Father. That's only a matter of a few more clicks on a clock and we will be experiencing what you already know to be true, God. What you already see, we will see it for ourselves. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by your truth, not by this world's truth. Wash us all now in the water of your word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen.